You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today we're going to have a a journey talking about nothing but leadership. We're going to uh, have a a good discussion from a gentleman who has been in public service and first responder. His name is Aaron Keith Hawkins. Aaron, welcome to the show. Doug, I appreciate you having me. I'm thrilled to be here, and hello to you listening. And uh, on that note, uh, Aaron, you were a police captain, correct? That's correct. Uh, about 25 years uh, of service up in Willingboro, New Jersey. I retired retired back in 20, 2019. It's kind of still kind of hard to say retired. It just does not feel right. <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, it does. It is starting to feel like a lifetime ago, which is strange. But uh, yes, we had I had some great years up there. Uh, beautiful town, great people. Um, it, it, and I, and I lo- loved, I, I won't go as far as to say I loved every minute of it because it had its moments, but, uh, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunities I had up there. And more importantly, the lessons that I learned that, uh, nowadays in my second career, if you will, I have the opportunity to share a lot and, uh, share it. It's, sometimes it feels like I'm mostly sharing mistakes, uh, but it is, it is a fun journey for sure. Yeah. What, uh, took you into law enforcement? You know, that's, that's a great question. I grew up, uh, growing up, I, I was not one of those kids that, you know, the cliches. And when I grew up, I wanted to be a doctor, fireman, uh, policeman. That really wasn't me. By the time I finished high school, um, I joined the military. I was in the Navy for a short while. And when I got out, I actually, the most honest answer is that we had a, a small group of friends and we lived in a town where we were considering signing up to become police officers. And as a collective, we decided we wanted to make an impact on the community. As weird as that sounds for being so young, as I look back, uh, we really did. We loved our, you know, our friends. We loved our neighborhood. We grew up there. And it just seemed, and I, I'll admit, it seemed kind of cool at the time, too, to be able to make a difference uh, at, at such a young age and uh and have some what we thought would be some fun and excitement at the time too and and just be able to stay near home and and create a career out of it and a couple of us did and you know the rest is is history well uh i i'm always i include you guys in the statement thank you for your service and for you it's got a double-edged sword you you're, you're in the navy and you're a first responder police officer so uh Thank you in both cases. Uh, more than welcome. I, I'm grateful to be able to to be part of whatever little difference I did make. So you stuck with it though, and then rose the ranks, yeah. made it to captain. So what is the leadership journey like in law enforcement? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I've been asked that before, and the most interesting times I've been asked that is with people from other countries. Um, Part of my journey later on after I became, I think I just made lieutenant, and I got nominated and selected to go to the FBI Academy in Quantico. So um, for those that don't know, it is not 
the FBI Academy, like Science of the Lambs, where you become an FBI agent. The FBI, FBI National Academy is a program. It's about three months long. Uh, and it's for hand-selected, nominated individuals that are law enforcement, already law enforcement executives around the world. So normally, most of the classes are about 200 plus executives from, in my case, I think we had maybe 23, 24 different countries. And that question, what is the journey like, is in in law enforcement, the leadership journey, it's definitely different in every agency. There's, I believe, over 52,000 individual law enforcement agencies around the country, and everyone has their own individual cultures, et cetera, which is a totally different topic, which is why I think it's so hard to uh, answer the question about making culture changes in law enforcement, because everyone's, to a certain extent, is in their own silos. Um, but for me, that journey was interesting because the first four years of my career, uh, after four years, I had the first opportunity to take uh, a, a promotional exam, which in New Jersey, in our agency, it's controlled by the state. So we are uh, we were considered a civil service agency. So Willingboro, the township, could not just, we can't pick and choose who we promote. There's a testing process. The state administers it. I took that test, and long story short, I got passed over about three, four, four times over the course of nine years, passed over. And it, and it was frustrating because in my mind on paper, I had been doing everything right. I was on the SWAT team. I was a firearms instructor. I was a training officer. So I was checking all the boxes that would lead someone to think, oh, this person's doing it right. He's eligible for promotion. Um and I, I say objectively, the people I was getting passed over for, in my mind, I didn't think it was fair. But I'm so glad it happened because it made me reflect on myself and get honest about who I was being in terms of why did I think that I had the audacity to say that I should be the person that has the responsible charge of being a leader for a group of individuals. And the truth is, for me, I, I truly believe the reason my journey took so long to get started and then went a lot faster when it did get started is because, and I don't mean to be metaphorical, metaphorical when I say this, but I really believe that somehow people, your community, however you want to put it, God, the universe, everyone knows when you're kind of just coasting. And I was just coasting. And what I mean by coasting was not that I was lazy or anything like that, but I was only doing what was comfortable for me. So I wasn't pushing. And I, I truly believe for leaders to be the most effective that they can be it is so essential for people who are leaders or aspiring to be, to be those individuals that are constantly pushing their own envelope, meaning whatever you're good at, how much better can you get at it? Are you celebrating how great you are and saying, look at me? Or are you keeping your, you know, your head to the grindstone, so to speak, and constantly looking for ways to improve incrementally over time and expand the areas where you are excelling in your competency? Um, so, so to keep this short, prior to my leadership journey starting, I wasn't doing that. And once I kind of made the shift, which is another story, I kind of had a uh, a moment, a brush with mortality, if you will, that really forced me to self-reflect. Uh, self and once I did that, I, I went from sergeant to lieutenant 
and then captained over a very short span of time, not because I became awesome. I, I just changed the way I was thinking and the way I was doing things. And the world, if you will, took notice, and I really started getting different results once I yeah. did it sounds like you know what you're describing is exactly the thing that i call simply how do you show up yeah absolutely you know, it's if you show up as the guy that is is fulfilling the job description but not much mm -hmm. else yeah um yeah. that is going to be obvious to those around you those up the chain those around you your peer group etc et they're they're going to know they they just know yeah, and uh, you're you're right to really assume that role of leadership. It it does involve the commitment to be something else and yes, show up in a much different way, much more intentional, much more driven. And I like what you said. You 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 started getting there and doing that, but it wasn't in a self-aggrandizing way. You know, hey, look at yeah. me, how great I am. It was just that internal shift of focus and commitment yes yeah you're absolutely right it, it, it was a matter of um it, it, it's almost it's almost a a contrast of humility but demanding to be better like i know i can be better but at the same time i'm hum i'm humble and I, I i don't demand to be better because i have this you know i'm so excellent but we can strive towards excellence um and do so with with class, with dignity, with respect for others, being at the forefront of all that, and and not being better for the sake of our own accolades, but being better for the sake of how we can make a better impact for our our teams, community, organization, whatever the context is for for you, the listener, uh, showing up and, and being becoming better at what you do, so that you can impact uh, the people that are counting on you. To be the best that you can and, and make the, the the most changes the best changes that you can make for them yeah let me ask this in in modern leadership speak there are a lot of topics that become centers of discussion whole courses are made about them and mm -hmm. coaching is certainly influenced by them topics like uh, emotional intelligence mm -hmm. um empathetic listening, uh, being authentic as a leader, all of those things that arguably on paper, they feel kind of fuzzy, you know, so mm -hmm. it's some people even shun it because when you start talking about it, they immediately, you know, they have this barrier that goes up that says, I don't understand fuzzy leadership. I, you know, I want specifics mm -hmm. and, you know, my limited understanding of law enforcement is I draw an analogy with my own experience in the military. Um, there, There is an element of rigidity in the structure that's a lot more prevalent when you're in a an organizational structure like law enforcement or the military. What did you see as hot topics of leadership as you got into the leadership chain and, and be, began being one of the leaders of the organization? Well, what were some of the focus areas that you guys dealt with? Yes, that's uh, it's a powerful question for, for us. Uh, as I rose through the rank, uh, through the ranks, uh, it, it was, I felt so lucky because as I moved up, 
um, some of the closest people to me were moving up either, you know, ahead of me, uh, right behind me. Uh, and we didn't all think alike, but we, but we had the same goals in terms of wanting to be better. What can we do different? Um, myself, I'm a child of the seventies and eighties. Uh, and certainly when I began my journey in law enforcement in 95, it was very much described as a paramilitary organization, meaning it wasn't military, but the structure of it was, was military like the rank the saluting yeah, yes, sirs. Captain, yes. you know, yeah yeah so so as i the hot topics for us was trying to change what seemed to be roadblocks in our perspective meaning when we came into law enforcement what did we see and what were we faced with that we thought worked well and what did we see and what were we faced with that just didn't seem to make any sense in when you in terms of what our ultimate mission was like as a law enforcement agency our our job is to protect our community and not only protect them but make them feel protected uh and also to take care of the people that are doing that job of protecting that community and making sure they feel appreciated making sure that we uh give them the tools and and the uh the freedom to do the best that they can and one of the biggest things at the time was for us to shift the way we were thinking because some of the some of the dinosaur rules if you will we had a lot of you know leadership that came from that the vietnam era and there was there was a lot of that rigid as you described doug that rigid military thinking and there are moments where that's absolutely essential but the truth is the vast majority of the time that was more of a hindrance than it was a help so, and, and I'll speak a short example of that is I spent 15 years on our SWAT team, tactical team. Well, when, when, if we're being shot at, or if there's a hostage situation, there's not a lot of time for everybody to hold hands and sit around and, you know, let's be democratic about this. And what do you think, hey guys, what do you think we should do next? <laughs> you know, what would make you feel good about how we, no, in those moments, it's life or death. There's, that time is either before this crisis or after the crisis is over uh so the, so there's context to this but it but um to, to answer the question directly we knew we needed to change the way we handled our our uh rigidity so perfect examples that when we were new hires we were told one of the un well unwritten but loudly spoken rules was keep your mouth shut keep your ears open and somebody if you're lucky may ask your opinion in about five years and that's just the way it was long before we got there and for many years after we got there well when we got into positions of leadership we realized we are not benefiting our community the best we're not benefiting our organization the best by assuming the very people that we select to work here by assuming that they don't have anything valuable to give us and if you just think about that as in as a listener in whatever organization you're in, if you have hired someone there, there should be a reason why you brought them into your organization. There needs to be an element of trust that you are assuming, hey, this is a good person that we want in our organization because they have something to give. Well, if that's the truth, what sense does it make to tell them to shut up for five years or three years or even six months and not share their opinions or experiences and the truth is one of the most valuable things that happened when we 
because we were able to, we got into those positions of leadership. So we became those sergeants, those lieutenants, those captains that were hiring and interviewing. We started extracting ideas from them as brand new people. They hadn't even gotten their boots yet. We would start asking their opinions from their perspective about law enforcement, about the way they, you know, if they grew up in the town, how do you feel about us? Have you ever been pulled over by one of us or had an interact interaction with one of our officers? And if so, what went right? What went wrong? And we started just assuming that everyone had something extremely valuable to give. Um, so, you know, it's a probably a long-winded uh, way to answer your question. What were some of the hot topics? That was really it, is yeah. opening the door to more <clears throat> communication, both from our, our, our people, especially our young people, and opening the door with our community and providing more opportunities to share uh, events, conversations, perspectives, even if they were perspectives that we didn't exactly agree with or want to hear, but opening those lines of communication and really tapping into what some people would describe as fuzziness, but uh, recognizing how much value there is in building those relationships quickly and early and making sure everyone, all the stakeholders, if you will, felt valued. I love that. And there's another dimension to what you were describing there that I, I think is valuable and I want to highlight it here for people. You know, you, you're describing the kind of the peer group you were in and your collective climb the ladder and, and advancement on the promotion chain. Mm -hmm. and when you got in the position of authority as a group, you started wanting to make these kinds of changes. And yeah. when you were saying that, it reminded me of a situation I was in a number of years ago, one of the large oil and gas companies I was doing some work with. I was at a team level meeting. The, the organization had gone through a pretty major reorg and this, this team was somewhat newly constituted. And the team leader had a brilliant statement, I thought. He got the group together and he said, hey guys, I wanna, I wanna before we kick off, I wanna set a frame of reference. He said, remember in your career how you used to always say they do this and they did that and meaning mm -hmm. we're pointing up the chain to the people <laughs> above us? Yes. He said, guess what? We are them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing because I, I've had those exact conversations like were those leaders that we couldn't stand. <laughs> and, and honestly, it, it was yes we became those leaders but that truly and i mean this authentically we really didn't want to be those people and and not to disparage the people that came ahead of us but there were a lot of um i don't know just really ingrained habitual structures that almost went unnoticed or it was almost taboo to even speak about, but we wanted to change those things uh, because we knew how we felt. We knew how many ideas we had, stuff we would talk about, you know, me and my buddies on the weekends when we had no rank, we were the, you know, the boots on the ground, so to speak. We'd be spending weekends together, having a barbecue, having a couple beers or, or what have you. And we would talk about how frustrating it was that we couldn't change what we thought really made sense and would be better for our, our community to make those changes. So it was it was pretty awesome to become the they. Uh, not that we were perfect by any means and not by and not to pretend that <laughs> the rank and file that happened to be under us didn't get annoyed or ticked off at us sometimes, but there was a lot more communication and a lot more involvement uh, and collective uh, collective decision making as much as possible. 
Uh, because look, Doug, there's, and you know this, I'm sure people have a high tendency to commit that something, to commit to something that they help create. And, right. and, and right. to me, one of the biggest benefits set aside, if you will, the, the humanity touchy feely aspect of it. And I believe strongly in those things, but it, let's even set that aside for a moment. Let's be completely pragmatic. When you allow people that don't have your rank, to be a part of the decision-making process as much as possible without being counterproductive. But when you bring them in and help them build something, and we did this in, in, in so many different ways, they have to buy in because they help build it. Yeah. It's really hard for yeah. someone to, 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 you know, to, you know, a new policy or a new process or a new, uh, a, a, a new written directive that comes out that they helped create because you took the time to sit down with people of every rank and every division and talk about this new thing that you're building and you want them to be a part of it. When it comes out, there's no pushback because everyone knew that they were involved. And, and that was perhaps, if there's anything I think I'm most proud of from my, from my time there was being able to, in some way, and, I, and again, I'm not pretending everything was perfect because I got promoted, but it, a lot of things definitely changed that I think were beneficial. And that, that was probably it, uh, inviting everyone in so that they're part of the decision-making process. And it just makes life easier. It, it really does. It makes life easier for everyone and allows everybody to work at their best because they're not fighting about some new thing that they didn't know about until it was thrown in their lap. Right. Uh, I, I agree with you. Having that buy-in and that participation in the creation of the direction that you're going is so critically important and and you yeah. touch on a really key element of that it, it's human nature how are you going to contradict that if you just help build it yeah. you know it's the truth <laughs> that does not compute you know and yeah yeah the old show said business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too and the first step is going to dougthorpe.com Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. There's, there's another element in, in the idea of, and, and talking about the ascension into rank and role when others that went before you have retired or moved on. Mm -hmm. And and I agree with you totally. This isn't about being disparaging or anything, but it's amazing to me how often, and especially in larger, more established organizations, there is a culture that emerges and leaders of the organization uh, absorb or adopt behaviors of the people before them yeah. whether they're right or wrong mm -hmm. there's kind of this subconscious well it worked for them i guess that's going to work for me so now that it's my turn that's the way i will operate and that's the way yeah. i will be and it takes a, a bold uh, group on the rung to say yeah, that might have been the way it was, but that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. I mean, we we need to be different. We need to do something yeah. different. We need to create our own identity 
for the good of this organization. Absolutely. We, we had a saying, um, and I, it, believe it or not, it, it was one of the, I, I don't mean, well, yeah, it was one of the older leaders that had been there. Um, and I, I'll never forget the first time we had a conversation we were talking about, I can't, can't remember so many years ago, but something that we were considering changing. And the unwritten, this rule that came out was, we said, you know what, from now on, if we're going to keep something the same, no one is allowed to say, let's keep doing it this way, because that's the way we've always done it. If, if that's your answer, if your answer to why we do something is because we've always done it this way, then that's not an answer. It's, it's, you're not even allowed to say it. And that <laughs> forcing everyone to explain why a process or uh, something we routinely did as an organization, trying to argue that the best reason to do it is because we always have, and instead having to truly articulate why that's the best thing to do totally changes the game because then you have to become pragmatic about it and say, well, here's why it would be worse to change it. Because if we change it this way, oh, that this negative effect would happen. If we change it that way, this thing would happen. It, it, even down to the, the, to the hiring process um, uh, or in, in our interview processes, there were times or there were years when the interview process was very rigid, very you know, the interviewers looking down upon the interview interviewee. And it was almost like this intentional um, intentional intimidation, if you yeah. will. And, and, and I know that and, and, I, and it wasn't meant to be mean, but the thinking, the thought process behind it at the time was that they need to be able to take the pressure. Well, we're police officers. These people are going to get pressure. They don't need to get it during the interview. You know, some, life goes to hell sometimes out there. You know, when you have tens of thousands of people, somebody's going to do something crazy. So you don't need to do it. So we so we started talking about why that wasn't the best way to do things um, and why we should make our interview process a little more structured and, and, and try to get the best out of these people instead of trying to pressure them and see what they can come up with. Things like that, um, you know, really made us think about uh, better processes uh, and a better way to handle things, uh, yeah. which uh, yeah, works well, well in any any organization. And, and sometimes I think these stereotypes get perpetuated because there is no conscious intervention for the culture. Yeah. Yep. There, it, 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 uh, some call it tradition. It's tr mm -hmm. just tradition. That's how we operate. And that's how that seat reacts with the organization. Yeah. I had a client I was coaching a number of years ago. He had a very responsible role in a large global brand. And the six giant multi-billion dollar production facilities that this company owned reported to him. And mm -hmm. so... If there was a, an accident or an incident at one of these sites, the site manager would have to call him, you know, my guy. And mm -hmm. I, I asked him, I said, well, how do those calls usually go? You know, and he kind of, he was reluctant to tell me anything. And mm -hmm. I already had a vision in my mind because I knew, it, you know, this was pretty heavy boot on the ground kind of uh very much blue collar trade oriented work. I said, 
well, I finally just said, do you just jump all over these guys when they call in the fact that there's been an accident and, you know, do you take a pound of flesh when they call? And he said, he kind of sheepishly said, yeah. I said, why do you do that? I'm just asking, why do you do that? And he, he said, well, that's the way they did it to me when I was a site manager and I just kind of adopted it. And I said, okay. That's fair. I said, when you were a site manager and your boss took his pound of flesh, Mm -hmm. you're already dealing with a tragic accident. Did that help anything? And he goes, no, it was, it was just, you just knew you had to endure it. And I said, well, then now that you're in this seat, why don't you do something different? Yeah. He thought a minute and he goes, oh my God. He said, that's easy to do. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's those kind of things. You just subtly absorb the tradition and you don't necessarily think about the possibilities of what could be different. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's, you know, I, it, I think we both do speaking on this topic and, and one of the things when I do, uh, you know, when I go into organizations and I talk about leadership and what it is, and I, I simp- I have my own framework for leadership uh, that aligns with the four elements in nature, earth, air, fire, water. And the very first of those elements is earth and that's relationships. Uh, and it, I know John Maxwell uh, kind of famously described leadership in one word is just influence. At the end of the day, leadership in the broadest term is is influence and, and, and nothing else. And then, you know, you can add context and nuance to that as things move along and, you know, dependent on the organization. But when we kind of put the thumb or the screws on people, whether it's during the interview process or after, as you described, Doug, after a tragic accident and we, you know, things have to be roundtabled and discussed. If you put the screws on someone and just kind of shut them down and belittle them, well, that relationship kind of stops. It's at that point, they're kind of hurtling up, if you will. They're going into a shell and they're just trying to take the beating, but there's no relationship there. And and when people, I found one of the most eye-opening things that really when I did have the opportunity to get intention, intentional and pay attention to why I was doing things the way I was doing it, because I've been guilty of the same thing uh, in leadership roles of kind of just, okay, something went bad. People are responsible. They're supposed to get yelled at. But becoming logical about it and say, wait, is that going to help them open up their own mind to not only what I have to say, but is it going to allow them to open up and really reflect on their decision-making process at the time and kind of play it forward? Are they going to excel and have a likelihood of avoiding that mistake in the future by getting beat up or by really expanding the conversation and, and, openly learning and openly having the opportunity to express what they were thinking at the time without the fear of getting screamed at, uh, it really changes things. I, I truly believe it. And I, I mean, I, I w- would plant my flag on a hill that relationships are the number one most important thing in any leadership role. Because if your people are afraid of you to the point where they see your car pull into the parking lot, uh, or they see you pop on online because I know a lot of people are still working from home these days. If your people kind of pucker up when the boss shows up, that's a prop. That's an immediate red flag. That should be an immediate red flag. If you're a manager, CEO, Mm. whether you're C-suite, middle management, or brand new supervisor, if people pucker up and don't like that you showed up, that is an immediate problem that 
you as the leader need to fix. Um, and if there's anything I, I think I did right early on is, you know, I, I tend to be a naturally easygoing guy. So it's relatively easy for me to build relationships, but prioritizing that. And as I moved up, kind of urging the people that began that were also supervisors, but, you know, they were, they kind of answered to me, so to speak, kind of ingraining that into them. It's one of the most Man, you talk about valuable. You want to really change the way your organization works, the way your people respond to you. Make them feel safe. I dare you. Make them feel completely safe to come to you with anything and feel connected to you and constantly remind them how valuable they are, not just because they hit some sales quota or because they failed to miss a sales quota. Just honor and respect them as an individual every day as a matter of routine, not because you have to be best buddies and cook burgers together, but because you respect them as a person, uh, regardless of their rank, that I guarantee you that alone will completely change the way people respond to your leadership is knowing that you actually care about them as an individual and want to hear what they have to say. Right. Um, that, right. That's a game changer. Right. Yeah. I, I'm thankful for a learning or teaching that I had absorbed many years ago. And I'm not even sure who put this in me, but I had a mantra in, in my organizational uh, roles. Uh, I was, I was working in a large regional bank. I had a division of about 300 people. And my mantra was, I will listen to anything, but I don't want surprises. Yeah. <laughs> and um, people figured out, you know, quickly what that meant. And I was I was very quick if somebody brought me a pretty serious problem or, or even a admission that they had goofed on a mm -hmm. transaction or, you know, created a fail. Yeah, I was I was quick to say, OK, you know what's done is done let's let's lean into next steps and you know there was no punitive aspect of any of that it was mm -hmm. it was genuine and it was real it, and part of it was the in my own mind i knew stuff was going to happen it yeah. you know it, nobody was going to be perfect as a team and even individually but what we could do to make a mark for ourselves as a contributing part of the organization was to have really good response and recovery methods. Yeah. And, you know, really be able to look at those moments. Now, you, you know, you want to do the basic work right the first time that was, exactly. yeah. that was a given you want to do it, but because it wasn't going to be perfect, the way you can overcome and recover from the error that might have been made or the mistake. Now, in my banking situation, I didn't have people on the line out on the streets of a city protecting where the stakes are much different. Sure. So it was easy for me to look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's great. And, and I, I, I like to think that leadership as if you have a foundational structure to your leadership, for me, it's, it's relationships, clarity, um, your mindset and your self-care. Those four, those are my pillars, uh, for me. And, and, and I, I'm grateful to have learned them through 
a whole lot of trial and error, probably more error than trial. Uh, <laughs> but over the years, that's that's the foundation that I, I came up with. And it really transfers across industries. And I say that specifically because even in my traditional law enforcement career, you know, there's rules in place. And and one of my the many hats I wore over the years, I was a policy writer. And over the course of probably 10, 11 years, uh, our agency was founded in 1959. And we pretty much had little or no written like policies and directives until uh, we had a public safety director who decided we need to change this. I volunteered um, insanely to be the policy writer. So we spent the next decade writing literally thousands of pages of policies and directives. Um, and my point to that is in law enforcement, if somebody violates a policy, there is a discipline structure in place and there needs to be uh, with varying degrees of consequence depending on the severity of the infraction. But even in that situation, uh, as uncomfortable as it is, you know, in terms of in that eight, in that context, the internal affairs process is what it was called. Even then, during those 10 years of writing the rules that, you know, had ramifications if they were broken, nobody was in shock when, if and when something was violated and there was a consequence. Because going back to our conversation earlier, every policy we wrote went through the all the stakeholders every division every 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 rank every division uh the union because we're a unionized agency everybody got to read the first draft of that policy and give feedback it, it, to every uh iteration of each written directive and there was dozens upon dozens of them until they themselves signed off and that created a situation where everybody had their you know it was automatic accountability we helped write this rule uh we also helped write what the um the potential ramifications were if they were violated and, and i i think that's a big piece of it so and I, and i say that to say regardless of the nature of your organization whether somebody's listening that to chief of police or somebody's listening that's in banking you know people are going to make mistakes there's a hundred percent chance that that will happen if you're a leader and you're not hearing about anything going wrong be very afraid because things are going <laughs> wrong that you don't know about right, right, the truth. Right. <laughs> so you need to have more conversations with your people because you know they may have a you know you want to find out about the monster when it's a tiny little lizard on the desk not when it turns into godzilla so, <laughs> so having that openness and that communication it, it's 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 so helpful um in having those tough discussions and having people come to you early on, as soon as something happens, so you can get ahead of it. Like you said, Doug, you know, something yeah. went wrong. You kind of take a deep breath and lean back in your chair and take that five second pause and say, okay, it's done. It's done. What do we, what, what's next? What do we do next? How, right. how do, right. how do we pick it up from here? Uh, it's a super valuable lesson for sure. Well, real quick, and then we're almost out of time here, but real quick, uh, hit your, you mentioned the four pillars uh, uh, similar to the um, uh, aspects of nature. It, it hit yeah. your definition of how those four apply to leadership. Sure. Uh, number one is relationships, with which we probably talked about, talked about mostly in this, in our conversation here, um, having relationships with people and, and 
uh, usually one of the biggest fee- uh, pushbacks I get is I don't have time to make relationships because uh, there's just too many people that I'm responsible for. I get it. I had 120-ish people under my span of authority, if you will, when I was working. But when you're interacting with people, making them feel safe, connected, and and know that they matter, that spreads. So whether you have a team of five that you can build relationships with one-on-one or you have a team of 5,000 that you're just building a reputation for your relationships doesn't matter. It works the same either way. You need to have the intention of being a relationship builder. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's earth. The air is just clarity, clarity about who you are, what you stand for, your values. Um, To get into specifics, who do you serve? What do you believe about yourself and your business? And the biggest importance for me, and this was especially true in law enforcement, what's the experience like to interact with your organization and with the individuals in your organization. Everyone that, I don't care where you work as you're listening or what kind of organization you're in, everybody in your organization should have a clear picture of what the experience is to interact with them as representatives of your agency. And if if you as a leader have not communicated with them routinely about what it should be like to interact with you, as a member of that organization, um, that's something you need to get on get on right away. Um, mindset is is more of a is about resilience, just your way of thinking. Uh, for me, it's about responsibility standards, um, reflecting on uh, kind of comparing yourself in situations and asking yourself the question: What can I do in this situation as I face this <laughs> this dumpster fire, so to speak, when those problems arise? asking yourself, if I couldn't get this, if I could not get this wrong, what would I do? And it puts you really in that creation mindset. Um, And then lastly is uh, self-care. That's water. So earth is relationships. uh, Air is clarity. Fire is that mindset. That's the fuel to keep you going. And water, you know, we don't live if we don't have water. And if we don't take care of ourselves, there's no way we can show up correctly for the people we serve, for organization, and even for our friends and family if we don't take care of ourselves. Uh, self-care is something I really push when I have uh, I do keynotes or trainings because it's by far the most neglected of these. There's lots of people that fortunately have great relationships with their people, have a lot of clarity about what they do in their business. A lot of people these days are really intentional about mindset and you know self-development, whatever you want to call it. Um, but somehow, some way, as I interact with people regularly, it seems that 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 priority of, and I'm not talking about bath bombs and pedicures in terms of self-care, self-care. I'm talking about really taking time to make sure you're well-rested, you're spending time with family, friends, children, um, you're eating well, you're being as active as you can to keep your body and, and mind rested because... You know, I know and I see on a regular basis, a lot of people just constantly with their foot on the gas, feeling like they have some obligation to be this robot, this inhuman machine that just keeps going and doesn't have time to take a break and decompress and actually be an individual Yeah. with the exception of Saturday, Sunday, or the one or two vacations they get during the year. But um, now everybody should have the opportunity to reset daily and and take care of themselves so those are my four i love it i love it well aaron thank you so much for sitting in with us tell the folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more or having you keynote somewhere sure absolutely uh super easy 
AaronKeithHawkins.com. That's my name, Aaron with two A's. Uh, the middle name is Keith. Last name is Hawkins.com. Uh, if anybody, because I know, I, you know, so I know if anyone's like me that's listening, uh, I usually listen to podcasts while I'm in the car. Uh, if you didn't have time and you are interested in those four pillars and just having a quick way to reference them, if you go to AaronKeithHawkins.com uh, forward slash uh, elements, just like the elements of nature, uh, elements with an S, uh, you can just download it free. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and you can just tuck it away in one of your files, reference it and see if it resonates with you, see how it resonates for you and your organization. And certainly if somebody wants me to come in and, and speak, uh, has an event coming up, Right on my website, there's a spot to click and you can just tell me about your event, see if our calendars align. I'd be happy to to serve you. Well, that's great. And as always, folks, we're going to have that information in the description of the show here, drop down in the show notes, and we'll have all those links ready for you. You can hop over, take a look at what Aaron's got to offer there. And one last time, Aaron, thanks, man, for sitting in. And again, thank you for all the great work you do and and, and once upon a time did. <laughs> I appreciate you, Doug. I'm grateful to be here. And thank you, listeners. And make sure you're, make sure you're subscribed to Doug's show if you're not already. Don't let this be a one-off. Good stuff here for sure. Well, I appreciate that. And with that, folks, I, I do want to remind everybody, if you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video of this show over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, uh, subscribe if you want. You'll get notices about everything. I've got a lot of information on my website to continue your learning and journey about be, being a better leader. I want to remind you of the phrase, the right word spoken at the right time from the right person can change a life. So that's what we as leaders are about. We uh, do make those moments of influence for the people around us and anything we can do to improve and change our game so that we show up as more effective leaders, that ought to be your number one challenge. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and wish you the best. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.